Well, you know better now. We have a couple thousand institutions of higher education, and many of the problems—not all, but many of them—many of the challenges are are shared, are common. The the idea of having a couple thousand institutions try and figure this out by themselves doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite make sense to me. And having really smart, really committed people come together to share best practices and get in the playbook that you're you know laying out today, I think would be so helpful and so informative for folks moving forward. Um, we, we have to all be in this together. You know, the idea of doing this in silos, being competitive with each other, it's just, it, it, this fight is too important, it's bigger than all of us. So getting people to come together, to, to make mistakes, to fail, to learn from those, but ultimately get the kind of results that you're getting. Um, I think that's the only way we're gonna have progress at scale. I'm sort of tired, tired of little pilots, little models. We gotta scale what works as fast as we can. That's exactly what, what your collaborative has done. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is a podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders that will help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. This is a special episode of Innovating Together, which is drawing from a webinar we did in partnership with the Chronicle of Higher Education to unveil the UIA's newest playbook on the topic of proactive advising, which we developed from our learning over a three-year, 10,000-student randomized control trial uh, that was funded through the First in the World program at the U.S. Department of Education. And Essentially, we sifted through and found all the best insights and learning we gathered across our 11 institutions that that participated in that project. And we've created a free playbook, which is freely available and can be downloaded on our website. I wanted to share that. And to get a copy, go to theuia.org. And you can also sign up for our newsletter at theuia.org, which will give you access to our most current innovative ideas and concepts and downloadables, including recent playbooks. And we have yet another to unveil very shortly. But in this conversation, which was co-hosted by my colleague Ian Wilhelm from the Chronicle of Higher Ed, we heard a short fireside chat with former Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, and later a rich discussion with thought leaders spanning the advising ecosystem, including Melinda Anderson, who's the Executive Director of NACADA, C.J. Powell, who's a Special Assistant in the Office of Post-Secondary Education at the U.S. Department of Ed, and Tim Rennick, who's the Executive Director of the National Institute for Student Success at Georgia State University. So I wanted to give you that context, and I invite you to join this rich discussion about the future of advising. Welcome, everyone, and welcome for joining to today's session, where we'll be discussing academic advising about and how it's going to impact the future of our institutions. I'm your host for today, Ian Wilhelm, with the Chronicle of Higher Education. And I'm your co-host, Bridget Burns, with the University Innovation Alliance. Uh, academic advising has long been something that we know is a priority, but it doesn't necessarily move high enough up on the priority list that we need it to in order to drive change. Today, we're going to have a conversation drawing in experts from various vantage points to discuss the critical aspect of the future of academic advising. While it has always been a critical aspect of higher ed, the implementation of advising differs dramatically by institution and varied implementation can often get in the way of evolving efficacy and impact across higher ed. 
Today we're here from a, a number of experts who can give us some vantage points on this, about how to support students, how to do that better in the future than what's been done in the past, and of course, how revising plays a key role in that. Uh, what needs to change, what gets in the way, and how colleges can you know, do it better together. For a little background, the UIA is a multi-campus, the University Innovation Alliance is a multi-campus laboratory uh, for student success innovation that helps university leaders dramatically accelerate the implementation of scalable solutions that will improve outcomes for more diverse graduates to improve the number and diversity of graduates in this country. The UIA is founded and led by a pioneering group of university presidents and chancellors who are committed to breaking down silos to collaboration and leading on testing, sharing, and scaling ideas across the sector to help more students succeed. A key piece that leads into today is that the Alliance in the past, since 2014, has managed to increase its low-income graduates by 46%, graduates of color by 85%, and produce 97,000 more graduates. And a critical aspect of that was in early years of the Alliance's formation, they uh, won the First in the World Award that was created by the U.S. Department of Education, and it did a 10,000 student randomized control trial on the implementation of uh, proactive advising. Today, we're fortunate to not only be joined by uh, the person who was the Secretary of Education at that time, we're also going to be unveiling a playbook that is designed to help administrators, no matter where you sit, at whatever type of institution, that you can actually work on the implementation and improvement of proactive advising on your campus. So that will be shared with you um, in the chat and also at the on the heels of the webinar. But as I mentioned, the critical piece there was that this was something that was supported by the U.S. Department of Education, and that was uh, led by Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan. Arnie Duncan is a managing partner at Emerson Collective and the founder of Chicago Cred. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today uh, to chat a little bit about the background before we lead into the conversation with our other experts. Look forward to the conversation. And uh, first, is Richard, congratulations. And you sort of blow through those numbers fast. <laughs> those are really, really significant numbers. It's never stats. These are individual lives. These are families who, for generations, will be changed because of the chance to not just go to college, but to graduate. And when I say all the time, all the students that you guys have helped to graduate, they weren't necessarily smarter than students a few years before them. They weren't necessarily better prepared. What they were was better supported. You know, systematically, systemically, you guys better supported them and helped them get across the finish line. So it's just remarkable, remarkable work. And thanks so much for all of your leadership and hard work. Well, it's all the work of the campuses. Uh, and part of it, though, that was really important in early years was that the Department of Education and the White House were critical allies in helping kind of incentivize the kind of behavior that we're talking about today, which is thinking about and focusing on big shared problems that the sector needs people to actually put, you know, differences aside, not just be obsessed with the boundaries of your own institution, but actually work on how do we improve how we support students collectively. And so I want to turn to first uh, that model of the first in the world award, which um, was fantastic and has led to a great deal. It was really incentivizing collaboration for student success innovation. Why do you think we need more collaborative innovation work in higher ed, um, like the kind that you incentivized in First in the World? 
Well, you know, but now we have a couple thousand institutions of higher education and many of the problems, not all, but many of them, many of the challenges are, are shared, are common. The, the idea of having a couple thousand institutions try and figure this out by themselves doesn't quite, uh, doesn't quite make sense to me. And having really smart, really committed people come together to share best practices and get the playbook that you're, you're laying out today, I think would be so helpful and so informative for folks moving forward. Um, we, we have to all be in this together. You know, the idea of doing this in silos, being competitive with each other, it's just, it, it, this fight is too important, it's bigger than all of us. So getting people to come together, to, to make mistakes, to fail, to learn from those, but ultimately get the kind of results that you're getting. Um, I think that's the only way we're going to have progress at scale. I'm sort of tired, tired of little pilots, little models. We've got to scale what works as fast as we can. And that's exactly what, what your collaborative has done. Uh, we are in violent agreement. On that. I do want to ask about the role of government in, in encouraging and incentivizing this kind of behavior. What role do you, I know that you're no longer working in the government, but what role would you like to see perhaps state, federal play in encouraging innovation and practice support for students? Well, that was sort of the constant question and you know, whether it's at the state level, the federal level, what uh, they'll take their part of education, what's the appropriate role of the federal government in on this, for this topic of this webinar in higher education? And I do think this actually cuts across all of education, K-12 as well, um, setting some, some bold goals. And I'm a much bigger believer in carrots rather than sticks. I don't think you can beat people into doing better and you sort of build a coalition of the willing and folks who um, are frankly dissatisfied with the status quo, who want to do something better. Set a, set a, a bold goal. I always talk about ambitious but achievable goals. And then put some resources behind it to, to help them you know, get there. And for me, it was never about, you know, what my idea was or what President Obama's idea was. I was like the best ideas were out there in the field. It was really about empowering people to, to do what works and to take it to scale. And again, that's what you guys have done, have done brilliantly. So I think a very, very appropriate role across, again, I was like education would be the ultimate, you know, bipartisan and nonpartisan issue. There's nothing Republican, Democrat or left or right about having more young people go to college and very important, more young people, not just go, but graduate. And for me, this is nation building work. This is work that's trying to sustain our democracy, which I'm frankly very worried about these days. And so we're all in this together. The federal government can help to incentivize, can help to convene, can help to shine a spotlight on what's working. Um, that's something that I think should transcend administrations, transcend parties. That should be a constant. I completely agree. And it's uh, super important for higher education to lead on this, especially when you talk about democracy, because the original founding purpose of higher education in this country was the preservation of democracy. So this is a moment where we're looking for the kind of collective leadership that I think you were incentivizing, both with First in the World, but I also think the uh, White House College Opportunity Summit, um, which we're hopeful they might consider doing again, because it asks institutions, again, to not just think about their own institutions, but focus on the big collective challenges that we're all sharing. I wanted to shift to why you think higher ed needs to focus on evolving how we advise students. Um, today, we're going to be really focusing on the future of academic advising, which we know is a critical backbone at the, at, in higher ed, but in, in how we do the work of education, but it needs to evolve. And I wanted to give you a chance to share why you think it's important. Well, I, I think, again, just having so many folks participate in this web webinar is actually very encouraging to me because I think I can make a pretty compelling case that we can talk about majors, you know, how's your economics department, how's your government department, political science, whatever. But what's always sort of a little bit underneath the radars, 
how strong is your academic advising? How strong are your supports? And I think I can make a pretty compelling argument that might be your, your most important <laughs> department at your university because we know the majority of folks who go to college actually don't graduate. They don't graduate. And that's a devastating reality. We talk a lot about the cost of college and college being too expensive. And we all agree with that. But for me, it's always the worst case scenario is you take out all that debt and don't have a piece of paper, don't have a degree uh, to, to, show, to show for that. And you're in a really, really tough you know, financial and life position. Shining a spotlight on this and having universities take as much pride in their academic advising and trying to, you know, recruit students to their campuses based upon that strength and not just based upon how pretty their campus is or how good the major is or how good, you know, how many wins the football team might get. Um, this is the reason to come to a university. No one goes to college ever. I don't know anyone's ever gone to college saying my goal is not to graduate, but that's what's happened. And people talk about systems being broken, and I hear that, but I often think systems aren't broken. They're basically designed to get the results that they get. They're perfectly designed to get the results they get. And I think we've been uh, too complacent. Uh, we sort of let it go that the majority of folks who go to college don't finish. And for me, that's an untenable reality that we have to change and change together. And obviously, that's the, the point of this conversation today. Yeah, I completely agree. And I find that often you don't see advising in executive cabinets. You don't see it um, high up on the org chart, but it is really the backbone of the institution. They're the last person that students talk to before they walk out the door and never come back. They are the ones who are there as the helpful like triage support and coach. More and more, we're asking them to do a million other things that we don't support them being ready to do and they're handling it. So it's super important for us to think about how we help higher ed move from playing defense with advising and playing off and that's really what proactive advising is, which um, the study helped us kind of validate works across any type of institution. The last thing I want to ask and give you just a chance to say whatever you'd like, I'd like to know what you'd like to see from higher education. In the vantage point you sit, you have a unique chance to see all the things that higher ed should be doing and maybe we're not. And I would love to hear what you'd like to nudge and see. Well, I'll just say on the challenges, and we would focus on the, you know, the academic part, but as you know, that's just, that's just one piece of it. And thinking about students' mental health and all the, the challenges that folks are dealing with, you know, coming out of the pandemic and, you know, still being in the pandemic, quite frankly, and talking to university presidents, presidents who really take this seriously and hearing what are the top of the list of concerns that their students have, um, it's often uh, food insecurity. <laughs> it's housing insecurity. And if you're worried about, you know, how you're going to eat or how your family is going to eat, if you're worried about where you're going to live or where you're trying to live, it's pretty hard to concentrate. It's not a lack of will. It's not a lack of desire. It's not a lack of intellect. It's pretty hard to concentrate on the academic part of this. And so really having a, a holistic mentality, a holistic mindset that whatever those very real challenges, whatever those very real barriers are, not their easy answers, but the university is going to do whatever it is in its power to help overcome them so students can pursue their dreams and, and, and cross that finish line and achieve, and achieve their goals. And if we do this, I'll just sort of close where we started, Bridget, that I am very, you know, I'm always honest, for better or worse, I am very worried about our democracy frame at the edges now. And it's divided lots of ways by, you know, race and class and geography. But I really think it's divided um, maybe most significantly around educational opportunity and sort of the haves and the have-nots. And if you have a chance to go to college today and graduate, the prospects for your family are, are pretty, pretty strong. So many first-generation college goers, you know, students who have helped break you know, cycles of poverty, 
Um, there's tremendous upward mobility there. But those that don't have those opportunities in an increasingly you know, globally, globally competitive, flat world where the jobs are going to go to where the knowledge workers are, those that don't have those credentials, don't have those opportunities, are on the outside looking in. And that's very scary. And it can create a lot of fear, which I understand, and a lot of anger, which I understand. And that's the division that I'm deeply worried about in our country. Um, what I would love to see us collectively, you know, a generation ago, we led the world in college graduates. It's not so much that we've dropped. It's just, we're sort of flatlined, we're stagnated. A lot of other countries have just out-educated, out-invested, out-innovated. And I would love to see us. This is a very ambitious goal. We wouldn't achieve it overnight. We're really trying to set the goal of leading the world in college graduates again. And if we could unite behind that, and uh, really do everything we could, not individually to your point, but collectively, collaboratively. If we could do that, we would not just have the best educated workforce in the world. I'm convinced we have a much stronger democracy than we have today, a much less fragile democracy than we have today. So for me, the stakes are extraordinarily high. And whatever I can do to be helpful to you and others, um, I'm all in because this is, this is that important. That's the perfect message for us to start this conversation. Thank you so much for your continued leadership beyond education. We're seeing what you're doing for the country and with Chicago Cred. So thank you. And uh, we would just really appreciate what you've done and what you continue to do. So thanks. Thanks so back at you. Have a great panel. All right. Thanks. Well, Bridget, a great conversation with Secretary Duncan there. Um, struck by the idea that the system may not be broken, but the idea that it may be set up to do what it's supposed to do in some ways, not have the best results for all students. Certainly a powerful way of saying it. 